You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review. This is your frogman frog voice, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for the second time in one day. This is our record. First time we've ever done two shows on a Friday. Episode 339, if you're confused, that was our interview with Steve Dace. Um, we will now have another special guest here for episode 340 because I cannot talk my way through this. I am still sick today. And after that convo with uh, Steve, boy, is my voice kind of shot. Um, but you know, there's a lot going on that I just don't have the energy to get into. Was going to touch on it at the end of last show, but you know, Steve and I went a little long there. So we're going to have to wait till next week. But this week, we really have not talked enough about the border. I was happy that last week, I felt for the first time in my career, after 13 years of fighting for this issue, we had a sustained dialogue over what's going on. We actually started talking about cartels and drugs, not just here, but even more mainstream outlets. And that was a good thing. It's it's waned and it's been overshadowed by some of the soap opera this week. So I really want to bring the discussion back with our special guest. You know, Before we introduce Mark Morgan, our special guest today, I want to say one of the things that has really been pleasurable about my work the last couple months is just the amount of time I've been able to spend with law enforcement, whether it's local law enforcement, Texas, NYPD, or federal DEA, ICE, Border Patrol, FBI. I really, you know, everything is so political these days, but you really get a sense that there are people that just want to do the right thing. They're just really concerned about our national security, our national defense, the crime, all the problems we have from the border, from a lack of interior enforcement. And often that gets overshadowed by petty politics. And, and you know, obviously, look, I'm a political guy here. But Mark, our next guest, is not a political guy. He is a career law enforcement official. He served in the Marines when he was younger then later on, he became <clears throat> a cop for LAPD, as well as other police departments. Then he commenced a 20-year career for the FBI, serving really in a diverse area of the country, diverse areas of the country, including a stint at El Paso as the SAC, the special agent in charge. I'm going to be interested in talking to him about that. And then eventually moved on to Border Patrol, where in the final seven months or so of the Obama administration, he was appointed chief of the U.S. Border Patrol during that critical time, that last year of Obama administration, when the numbers were really going up again after that first wave in 2014. It's going up again in 2016. So we're going to want to hear from him. But the big thing about Mark is that he was terminated from his position at the end of January, as soon as President Trump took over. And typically in our political system, what happens when you are terminated? Well, you're going to be pretty pissed at that administration and you're going to seek to take revenge. 
And anyone else would have come out and, you know, imagine if the media has someone to call up and say, hey, I was the head of Border Patrol and Trump is full of hot air. He's wrong. Um, There's no problem at the border or border walls don't help. He could have easily done that and become a celebrity in the media. Instead, he put politics aside, even though he was um, fired by President Trump, he has come out in various media interviews saying, look, you know, this is about what's important for the country and border walls help. We need this built. We need to give Trump what he is asking for. And I heard some of these interviews and I said, I got to have him on my show. And I am so honored that Mark is taking time from his busy schedule to join us today. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Great, Daniel. And thanks for the introduction. But uh, I tell you, I, I really appreciate you having me on today. No, and I know, I know you really like long form discussions and, and my audience loves that to really learn more about the border. Can you just explain, you know, again, in your last year, and obviously you, you know, were were removed before you really had a substantial amount of time under your belt there. But what were you seeing in your final year, in your your final months at Border Patrol, in terms of the trends of the migration and how, in your mind, that ties into the efficacy and need of a border wall? So that's a great question, Daniel. And I tell you, in 2016, you're exactly right. So in 2014 is really where we saw a significant change in the demographics of those coming over. And what I mean by that is the family units and then unaccompanied minors. But in 2016, when I was there, uh, that, that crisis, and I call the crisis, uh, was, was continuing. And during my time there, uh, we, we had just a significant influx uh, of this different demographic coming over. And now fast forward where we're at right now, that, that same kind of landscape that I saw when I was chief, that, that same type of crisis and all that is connected with that, it, it's identical to what it, it's being experienced now. And I would say now it's even a little bit worse and we can get into those reasons. And so right now, what, what, what the uh, you know, Secretary of DHS is saying, uh, what, what the experts of Border Patrol are saying, and what the president's saying, because he's listening to those people, about these issues, about what those issues are, and the fact that it's a crisis, uh, in my opinion, it's absolutely correct. And it's the same thing that I saw back in 2016. So to, to, to move on to this border wall, you know, I, I've been watching this issue for a while, and it, it is true that we've staffed up the Border Patrol, you know, with thousands of more agents than we've had in previous years. You know, you got the technology and the vehicles, um, the helicopters, the aerial assets, why is it that it doesn't seem to be helping? None of that seems to be helping. Obviously, um, we have a chart here at Conservative Review where we have plotted both the macro apprehensions and then the specific apprehensions for um, UACs, the unaccompanied alien children, and the family units. And it has just been a straight line up since last spring, last summer. Every month, we're setting new records of family units, and even overall apprehensions is getting dangerously close to, you know, the real heavy duty levels during the Mexican migration the previous decade. Why is it that none of that stuff seems to be working? So that's a great question, and I think that's a narrative that that is is being used to mislead the American people. So all that stuff you just talked about, it actually does work. And let me walk through that just for a minute. So, and that's part of what I, I keep trying to get out there as much as I can is, is the Border Patrol CBP came up with a great strategy. Again, it's a, it's a multidimensional, multi-layered approach of infrastructure, technology, and personnel. If you go to areas like San Diego, Nogales, El Paso, 
where, where that strategy, that multi-layered approach has been used at, at the right levels and the right areas, right? Again, infrastructure, technology, personnel, it works. Um, for example, you go to San Diego. In San Diego, there's an area where the, the illegal immigration, um, especially back in the late 90s, early 2000s, was, was just unbelievable. Uh, I, I think, it, it, you know, overall, I think those are the times when it was over a million and, and, and there, were, there were cities on, on both sides, uh, areas on both sides that were just devastated. They, they were devastated with crime, um, massive immigration. And then when that multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel, i.e. A, a wall, which is a significant part of that. In fact, areas in San Diego, there's actually secondary and tertiary levels of wall. Um, what you saw immediately in that area was a 90% or, or plus reduction of illegal immigration, a massive reduction in overall crime, and, and, and cities on both sides, towns on both sides then, then, uh, since then has thrived. You, you go to Yuma, Arizona, again, where that strategy was used of infrastructure, technology, and personnel, the, the, the current sheriff now who's, who's been there for, for a, a long time will tell you when it happened in 2005, illegal immigration in that area reduced by over 90% overall crime reduced significantly. So, so, and I can keep going on. So, so to, to say that that strategy in the wall doesn't work is, is ineffective, is, is, is misleading. What happens is though, is that the bad guys, the cartels, they're pretty good too. Uh, and, and they, they've been doing it for a long time. So they quickly change their TTPs, their, their techniques, tactics, and procedures. Think about it, it's common sense. So you got an area where they're drug routes and, and, and human trafficking routes and all the routes, have been easy. Uh, you, you build a wall as part of that multi-layer approach. They just go around it, right? They, 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 they move and shift their operations to an area where they can get across. Well, the family units and unaccompanied minors, again, at the hands of the coyotes via the cartels, they do the same thing. Um, and so they're, they are going to areas where there, there's not that multi-layered approach and they're walking across, setting foot on our soil and giving themselves up to border patrol. And then they're allowed in the country. And isn't that why qualitatively this iteration, when I say this iteration, I mean, again, like you said, starting in 2014, but then it intensified in 2016, plummeted in 2017. A lot of people credit it just to the perception of Trump being tough on it. But then a number of things happened. You had a number of court rulings over the last year we've covered extensively on pretty much all aspects of asylum, UAC, Flores even some interior rulings that have really created magnets. seems like the cartels got the message at, hey, now's the time to come. And you see it really spiking. What I always hear is that you know, while we did beef, beef up the Border Patrol, there still are a finite number of people for such a vast expanse of, of areas. And if you don't have um, substantial barriers, it takes longer to get there by the time they get over because it's quicker for them to get over. And that the cartels are now shoving these people at the agents because with the Mexicans, most of them back in the day, they they didn't want to come. They didn't want to get detected because you'll just be returned. Whereas now you have the whole lawfare. You got to process them and everything. So they shove them at the Border Patrol agents. And then that's when they get in anyone else. They want to get in with a pretty high degree of confidence that they're not going to get interdicted. That, that, that's right. And, and in that brief statement, there, there's a lot of complicated issues going on at the same time, which which I think adds to, to this being a crisis. And so you do. So you have the element of the cartel, which you just articulated very well. So the, the, the cartel, again, they're smart. 
and they change their techniques, tactics, and procedures all the time for their benefit. And so now with, with, with these, these caravans and the onslaught of family units and unaccompanied minors that, that can range from, you know, 10 to, to over 100 or hundreds, right? The, the cartels, if, you know, if they're not facilitating that, um, they're monitoring that, right? And, and they're exploiting that. And they know when that comes that, that the border patrol agents in that area, think about that for a second. Think of, of the amount of resources, energy, and effort and time it would take for border patrol agents to, to collect, uh, you know, 200 uh, uh, children and family units, you know, at, at the border illegally entering. Think about that. So it is a drain, and it takes the agents off the front line to really then carry out what I refer to as a humanitarian mission to take care of those kids and family units. And, and that, that allows an, an open area operationally for the cartels to exploit. So that's a fact. That, that's absolutely happened uh, 100%. No, because as we're talking, I'm just looking, and I know you saw this picture. I'm looking now on social media. The Yuma office of the Border Patrol, <coughs> Yuma sector, put out a video showing a line of what looks like several hundred of people, several several hundred people lining up. Could you paint a picture for our audience what Border Patrol has to get into place when that happens, and then the gaps that that's going to leave open when undoubtedly the cartel, whatever cartel is running the plaza on the other side at that moment, um, it's certainly not lost on them, and they're certainly going to exploit that. That's, that's exactly right. And, and I'm actually glad that came out. You know, so the anti-wall, you know, anti-border security folks will, will see that through their own political ideology, and they'll say, well, see, look, you build a wall, they just tunnel under it. Well, that first of all, it's a false narrative. So the wall, again, is part of that multi-layer strategy. It, it's 90% effective. Is that 100%? No. Can you tunnel on it? Yes. But come on. At, at what point with any type of security that you would say, but but that strategy is 90% effective that you would not ha- have it? You know, right? So because it's not 100%. And, and so that's, that's a, to me, it's really a ridiculous argument. And so to answer your question directly, though, so think about that. So let's see if 300 people are popping out of this tunnel. Think about the resources that it takes to safely, effectively, and securely to take into custody 300 people, young kids, six years old, kids all the way up to 17, family units, some are fathers, some are mothers. You don't know where they're from. They don't have any documentation. You have to vet them. You have to feed them. You have to call them medical attention. You have to house them. So just, right, it keeps going. So just think about that from a common sense perspective of the magnitude of the resources that it takes to just handle 300 people, right? And then bring them and process them and do that in a safe, secure, compassionate, humane way. So common sense will tell you those Border Patrol agents, while they're handling that humanitarian crisis that I think we could stop um, through a border wall, is that, um, I think, at least drastically reduced, then those agents are taken off the line where there's not that infrastructure of, you know, a, a physical barrier, technology, and you don't have enough resources. If you read that same article, you know, it's explicit in there how the chief patrol agent there, who I know, says, hey, look, that, that we only have a handful of agents left to really patrol you know, miles and miles and miles of open border. Um, that, that's an issue. We, we have to fix it. 
it, it amazes me. I've heard at hearings before members of Congress say, well, what's your problem? We've tripled the size of the Border Patrol since the 90s. But I'm thinking, what 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 good are they if you literally create these magnets um, and these interior and judicial policies in a way that's going to bring so many people across? But again, like, you know, not like it was in the 90s. This is a humanitarian thing where they come hundreds at a time. So the agents can't scatter out and try to do their job. They have to go to that point. And then the media never talks about what's on the other side. This is not some sort of la-la land where people just happen to come over. It's, it's, there's an orchestration of the cartels there. If I'm the cartels, I mean, this is when I'm going to bring in all my stuff. So when they, to me, when they talk about the apprehension numbers or drug seizure numbers, they're not so telling because isn't it more concerning what we don't see and what we don't seize or apprehend? Yeah, so that's, Dan, you, you're absolutely right, 100%, right? And, and I, I hope the American people are listening because what you're talking about is just common sense. And it, that, that really is common sense that, that's based on, on, on not a political ideology. It's just based on truth and reality and what's in the best interest of this country. So two major things you talk about there, right? So one, one is the sign law and policies with no consequences that acts as the pull factor. So I'll talk about that in a second. But the first thing is the cartels. Again, that's absolutely right. And, and the narrative that's not talked about, because I always say, look, you can take a basic statistics course in college and twist any facts to, to serve your own political ideology. We need to stop doing that. We need, to, we need to, to look at staff through a common sense approach. The common sense approach tells you those numbers, that's what we know. You're absolutely right. The issue we, we have to focus on is, is not only the numbers we know, which of themselves, to me, says it's a crisis. But again, yeah, it's, it's up to about, about, if you look at an annualized rate at this point, it looks like it would be over 700,000 apprehensions at an annualized right. rate. Well, you, that, that, that's right, which, again, is larger than the, the, the entire population of Wyoming. So think about that. <laughs> so, so, let's just talk, so let's just talk about the drugs, right, and the human trafficking. But so you've talked about the drugs, so we don't know what's getting through. So we, what we do know is that there's an opioid crisis in this country, which the synthetics uh, such as fentanyl kills 30,000 people a year. And we know that the majority of that, that, that synthetic, the, the synthetic drugs are coming from south of the border. And so your argument is going to be, well, but they come through the points of entry. That's your argument. To, to me, they're actually making an argument, but all things south of the border, it's a crisis. <laughs> and so, right? So let's, I mean, I, I really do. I think they're making our case. So it isn't, the issue isn't that the numbers say that most of them come through the points of entry. The issue should be is that the majority is coming through the south of the border that's leading to another crisis in our country of, of the opioid uh, epidemic. And to get to your point, we don't know what's coming through the points of entry. We have no idea. So that, that, that's, a, that's a false narrative when, when you talk about that. And then let's talk about the actual numbers, right? So what we do, they want to talk about the numbers that, well, numbers are down. Well, first of all, we, we, we talked about the different demographics. So we really, again, going back to that college statistics, let's see what's behind the demographics. So what's behind the demographics is very different because it used to be Mexican na na nationals. Well, the Mexican nationals, what did we do? They weren't claiming asylum. They couldn't claim asylum, right? And so they were being sent back. Well, now all the family units and uncompany minors, not only are they claiming asylum, right, because our asylum laws are broke, so they're allowed to come in, but under the, the horrible Flores decision, they say that we, they, they just came up with some arbitrary number, few days, a few days, they, they just pulled the number out of thin air that says, oh, yep, because you're 17 or under, nope, government, you can't hold them. So you got to let them go. And so because we have, a, 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 our asylum laws are broke, 
filled with loopholes. If you say the magic words, you come in. If you're a family unit, or company minor, bad court decision, made up number, you can't be held, you get to come in. And because we don't have enough immigration law judges, because that's broke, we don't have enough bed space, these people are allowed into the interior of the United States, ask the pretty please come back to a court date in two or three years, and they never show up. It's all broke. We need to fix it all, including the wall. Fix it all, including the wall. That, I mean, that's that's exactly the point. I mean, if you had um, home invasions, you wouldn't say, well, okay, maybe this is half the pie, but what about the other pie? I love the cat and mouse game. When when the issue before us is A, they say, well, what about B? But then they oppose B too. <laughs> you know, it's each right. thing is like that. Right. It's, it's, that's right. It's just disingenuous. So, so look, you know, when, when the, de- the Democrats will say, well, we support border security. And what they say is, so we, you know, we... Uh, we support more resources, you know, more personnel. We support HSS having more bed space. We support more immigration law judges. Um, you know, we support, we need to look at the visa overstay. And I'm like, yes, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Anybody that says, you know, we, we, we need more immigration law judges. Yes. Anybody that says we need to, to get more resources in bed space, you know, yes. Anybody who says we need to fix the OB's overstay, yes. We need to work with Mexico, right, to continue to get them to get skin in the game because they're not where they need to be. We need to continue to work with Central American companies to, to bolster their economic you know, position in the world to, to, to eliminate that push factor. Yes, we need to do all of that, including a multi-layer strategy of infrastructure, technology, and personnel in between the points of entry to take that avenue away from the cartels and people coming here illegally. We need to do it all, including the wall. Why is all of a sudden the wall the thing that says, nope, I'm tapping out. I, I want to do all this other stuff, all this other stuff we want to do and we need to do, but I won't do the wall. And and let's not forget in 2006, the 2006 Border Secure Fence Act passed by a bipartisan group of Congress uh, uh, folks that, that the same people, some of the same people today, they're saying the mall, wall is immoral, voted for the uh, secure fence event, they ended up building 720 miles of wall. And their argument why we needed it back then is the same exact language that's being used today. It, that is why I'm speaking out, because that is a political ideology. It really is because it's indefensible. If you recognize the problem, which they 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 actually try to magnify it more than what the wall could solve in their mind. So then it's a further self indictment of not doing it. And like you said, the only thing that has changed from then to now is I would argue two things. Number one, we see the efficacy of it, so maybe they don't want the efficacy of it. But number two, again, given the nature of the type of um, illegal immigration we have and the strength of the cartels being even stronger. I mean, since then, we've had the cartel wars over the last 10 years over these uh, uh, over control of the plazas, how much more so we need it. Um, so we don't have these legal problems, which gets me to my next question. Um, when I was first studying this w- with the Mexican wave of migration, I always heard the term turnbacks in Border Patrol. Um, they were turning back people by by the thousands uh, you know, 15 years ago or so, you'd see these numbers. They they just turn them back. They would know that they're coming. You know, we don't just sit here passively. The border patrol is active, and they see them coming. They don't allow them to get on our soil. They turn them back. Is the reason we're not seeing that now? 
be only because of what we just talked about, the legal stuff with the Central Americans that we, in my view, erroneously think that we need to process them? Or is it also a tactical change? Well, so it's a little of both. So there's always an argument about the numbers, right? And, and I always found that to be political. You know, can we count turnbacks or not? And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think you can make arguments on both sides. You know, so I, I try not to get too mixed up in the numbers. But but the reality is what, what I think that represents, whether you think turn back numbers should be counted or not, is is that it's a crisis. We have a lot of people then and now still trying to come in illegally into our country. And I think that's the, the, the really issue we should focus on. And then I, I think you're, you're hitting all the right cylinders here is that it's changed dramatically demographics. And it's changed because of two major components. One is because of our asylum laws and our court decisions, right, that, that absolutely represent a pull factor. There are no consequences. If, think about this. If it, and look, if, if I was from Central America, I'd want to come to America, too. For sure. I would. It's the greatest country in the world. And, and if I was in Central America and I wanted to get in now, hey, I, I, would, I would try anything myself. That doesn't make it right. But, but I understand their plight. So what happens and what they know, because they're being coached and, and, and the cartels and coyotes are helping them, is that what they're saying is, hey, look, if you're a family unit or you're an unaccompanied minor, if you are able to just set one foot on American soil, one foot, if, if you can get through anywhere the points of entry and set one foot, you will be allowed to come to the United States. They're, they're not even, if, if you talk to them, they're not saying, hey, like, I, I, I hope I'm going to be able to come in. No, they're saying, you know, I can't wait to get to San Francisco where my mother is. I can't wait to get to Wyoming where I have a brother. Um, yeah, I, I, you I know, I, I really resent that. You, you, that's a very important point. And, and this is what I wrote a book, Stolen Sovereignty, about Americans being taken advantage of. Because I, I remember I always felt, you know, the, the media likes to say it's, oh, it's the violence. But really, yeah, of course, it's violent there. But if anything, the violence rates have been going down in Central America, which might with, with migration going up. And the violence in Mexico is actually way up precisely because of the central migration spawning the cartel turf wars um and yet migration is actually down from mexico but um you know she uh secretary nielsen said a couple weeks ago at a hearing it's economics but she also said it's family reunification because other people who came here illegally now they want to reunite with those people that, that that's exactly right and so when we talk about this issue i think you're spot on this is about safety security and sovereignty and make no doubt and i hope that people will listen to this this is not based on a political idea. This is based on fact and intelligence. It, it is clear. The overwhelming majority of people that are coming here and trying to enter illegally is for economic equality, period. It's by far economic equality. And what's ironic about that, the asylum laws for a country, that's not a legitimate reason under asylum not law to be able to enter a country, right? But because there's so many loopholes in our asylum laws, they know how to exploit it and work it and say the magic words. So even though they're coming here for pure economic equality, they're being allowed in under the rubrics of the asylum law, those loopholes, because they say the magic words, and they come in here and they're never to be heard from again. And let me give an example. So I was actually, when I was chief, um, I, I went and I saw these other companies, I saw it firsthand. And when I got on a plane to, to, to go back uh, to D.C., I was actually assigned to sit next to 
And he actually, he was allowed to board first uh, before anybody else, but it was an unaccompanied minor. He was like 14, 15 years old. And I was assigned to sit next to the unaccompanied minor that had just like three days before illegally entered the country and taxpayer's expense was going to New York to, to be with a family member of which we were not allowed to even determine if a family member was here illegally. So think about that. It's just what you said. It, it, it's and unbelievable. So it, 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 it truly is. And, and so if you, if you take a look at that, what, what I'm saying is, is it's twofold. By, by taking away that avenue, by drastically reducing the ability to exploit the areas in between the points of entry, what you do then is not only do you address dramatically and take away avenue from the cartels and bring in bad things and bad people and doing bad things in between points of entry. Now what you do is you're, you're adding to a consequence. And so you're telling the family units and, and the unaccompanied minors, you're not coming in illegally. You're not doing it. What you have to do is, I got it. You want it. You want to come and be part of the greatest nation in the world. I got it. I understand it. I respect it. But if you want to be part of the greatest nation in the world, one of the first things you have to do is respect our laws. So you want to come in, come in through the front door, act nicely, and work through a legal process to come in. Don't enter the country illegally. But they know that that if they set one foot in soil, they're allowed in. While meanwhile, you've got so many other people that are trying to do it illegally and stand in the line. And these people get to circumvent this um, because there's no consequences and we've broken laws and policies. So that leads me to the next thing. I've I've heard a lot from those that deal, deal with interior enforcement, law enforcement about the problems with a lot of the, particularly the teenage uh, you know, young kids, and again, a lot of them lie about their age, or they're sixteen, seventeen. In a couple of years, they're your nineteen, twenty-year-olds. Um, and yep. you know, we uh, we had an MS thirteen problem, but then it kind of went down towards the second term of Bush, and then suddenly, not coincidentally, right around 2014, 2015, places like Montgomery County, Maryland, near where I am, Fairfax County, Virginia, particularly Long Island, experienced a surge not just in, in drugs, but in, in gang activity. I want to hear from you and this, you know, both from your border experience, but also your work at the FBI. I know you worked in the LA office and you worked on a gang task force dealing with, you know, MS-13, 18th Street, these type of, you know, Mexican mafia. Um, just demographically, when you look at this, so obviously not all of the people are like this, but certainly, as you said, when you pay a coyote, deal with the cartels, come over an international border in a lawless manner, in, in, in hundreds of thousands of people. You're going, are you going to inevitably, and, and they're coming from a homogeneously violent culture. Now, they're not all doing it, but it's not like we're disentangling, for example, Yazidi is being persecuted by Sunni Muslims, or you know some sort of distinct ethnic or religious minority. It's all very homogenous. It's the same type of people. You can't tell. What type of people do you see 16, 17-year-olds coming over? And aren't they... And, and let me just... I know I've gone long here. One more quote. I want to get your comment on this. And I sent you this article. Um, Rod Rosenstein, Deputy Attorney General. He, But he was the U.S. Attorney for Maryland, which had a big gang problem, still does. And he said something very interesting. He said, we're letting people in who are gang members, but we're also letting people in who are vulnerable. Many of these are alien children who have no parents, no family structure. We're releasing them into communities where they're vulnerable to recruitment by MS-13. And so, and so many of them come in without any gang ties. 
develop gang ties as a result of the pressures they feel in the communities they're in. Did you see a lot of that in 2016 and in your work at the FBI? Well, so absolutely. So uh, Mr. Rosenstein, he's 100% correct. So at the time in L.A., when, when I supervised the MS-13 gang task force, that L.A., Southern California at the time, just for context, I think it's important, was really the epicenter of the growth and migration of MS-13. It was at that time, and I think you can make the argument, it has researched to be one of the most violent uh, and, and a tra- most violent and prolific transnational gangs that this country's ever seen. It, they come up through uh, Los Angeles and they permeate just about every major city in the United States. That's a fact. That's not manufactured. And he's right. So what I saw in Los Angeles was uh, kids uh, that, that are technically minors, right, 17 or under, that had, had already committed horrendous acts of violence. Some of those had already committed acts of violence in Central America before they migrated illegally uh, into the country, uh, into southern Los Angeles and through the other cities. Fact. And they would come in here. They already belong to, to the gang in Central America, uh, and they come to the United States and carry on. The other part that Ms. Rosenstein uh, said, again, 100% right. You just think about that. So you come into this country. You have no skills. Uh, you're not educated. You don't really speak the language. And you don't have a mom or dad that's here. You, you have no parental guidance or supervision. They absolutely are predisposed and vulnerable for recruitment. And that's exactly what happens. A good deal of the MS-13 uh, individuals that we came in contact with in Southern California at the time absolutely had illegally entered the country. If you look at Tom, talk to Tom Holman, the former ICE director, he will say, so last year, the ICE statistics, when, when they would go and do gang arrests, he estimated about 40% of those gang members either came in illegally as a family unit or as an unaccompanied minor. Wow. Those are facts. Yeah. Wow. So so th- this is what the media won't focus on. Of course, they'll focus on three-year-old kids with blankets, but what, what they won't explain to you, and this is what really puts goosebumps, goosebumps on my skin, is a lot of, you know, every day I see heinous crimes committed by foreign nationals. And the reason why that's important is because, you know, it's just as bad when an American does it, but there's a limit to how much we can do. We, you know, our system is kind of catch and release domestically in our criminal justice system. Heck, even the average murder sentence is seven and a half years. Um, but, so, but, you know, so certainly drug trafficking, DUIs, assaults, we barely lock people up. But when it comes to foreign nationals, you know, everyone should agree whether you want you know, a small amount of immigration or 10 million immigrants a year, that we should only have good people. There's 7.8 billion people in the world, a lot of wonderful people. We shouldn't have any criminal aliens. And what I see is a lot of these crimes, you'll see uh, heinous sexual assault, uh, you know, robbery, murder. And I look, this is 21-year-old from El Salvador. And then I'll see, and he came in in 2014. And I'm like, damn, that was yesterday's UAC is today's, you know, gang or cr- criminal cr- uh, gang member yeah, criminal that, that, that's right and so as chief and this, again not from a political ideology or from a pundit setting in dc is that i've been to the border i've been in the border patrol holding facilities i've been there and i've looked into the holding facilities and i've seen quote minors right the 17 or under and and i hope american citizens they're, they're looking at this they've got kids 17 uh that, that that's Come on, that's an adult. And so when you're looking at kids 17, 16, I've looked inside those holding facilities, Daniel, and I've looked in the eyes of some of these folks, and they've already got tattoos. And and to me, I was looking at 
a, a future gang member. There was, there was no doubt in my mind that because of this broken side of laws and because of bad case law like Flores, we have to let him go. And, and we're asking him when we let you go, pretty please come back because we don't have enough immigration law judges and that system is broke. We're, we're releasing them and we're saying, pretty please come back in two or three years for your hearing. It's a joke. It, it, they it, never come back. To, see, to me, and, and I know you have a lot of friends in law enforcement, probably everyone, because whether they're DOJ or DHS, they're not getting paid now. And it's very painful. But to me, the bigger government shutdown is what you just said. You, you know, both in terms of solemn responsibility of a federal government and in terms of redressability. It's so easy to redress and it, you must redress it. Why do we have a federal government? We have 50 state governments. We have 3,000 county governments. We have 90,000 forms of local or municipality governments. Why do we have a federal government? At its core, the core reason was for things that the individual states weren't capable of doing, things that affect the entirety of the union, as Madison said, external Threats, external threats. So, you know, local crime, okay, that's for local law enforcement, but things coming in externally. You know, we have our own problems. There's been a lot of debate, you know, over the last couple of years with school shootings, our own youth, you know, the problems, what's causing that. We certainly don't need to import other people's, other countries' criminals. And it just amazes me how they say, oh, these poor children, you know, and some of them are going to be, are, are going to be fine, but our eyes aren't lying what you see in Long Island there, what the uh, Suffolk County Police Commissioner said, that they're not all gang members, but the entirety of the crisis they had the last four or five years is among that population. And I just, you know, what 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 hoses me is that is that um the statute, you read the statute of of the UAC statute, it says very clearly that only those that are, quote, a victim of a severe form of trafficking are to be treated as refugees and those that don't have parents or guardians, isn't it true that indeed most of them are self-trafficked by the very family members that are already in the country in order to reuni reunite with them when they themselves are illegal? That, that's right. It, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a series of broken policies and asylum laws that everyone has taken advantage of. And they're working the system, whether it's asylum, chain migration, you know, we could go on and on. They're absolutely exploiting loopholes every single day to be able to illegally enter this country. That, that's absolutely right. And, and here's here's another narrative, though, Dan, it's very important that, that just frustrates, frustrates the heck out of me. So the very people that, that are against, uh, uh, you know, shoring up, you know, uh, our uh, areas in between the points of entry with the physical barrier, et cetera. Think about this, that. The Human County Sheriff just came out this past week, and he talked about since he's been there, his deputies have uh, recovered over 100 dead bodies just in his county alone. Think about that. 100 dead bodies of people trying to illegally enter at the hands of the coyotes paid by the cartels, uh, and these people died from exposure and, and other uh, issues by trying to illegally enter the country. We, we just recently, two children, horrific, tragic death of two children. And that was not done at the hands of the U.S. law enforcement. That was done at the hands of the coyotes that took them on a long, perilous track without medical attention, without medicine, and, and uh, uh, improper nutrition. Talk about the, the United States Border Patrol that, that conducts thousands, not hundreds, thousands of rescues every mm. single year 
of people trying to illegally enter the country in between the points of entry. And then let's talk about at least when those being uh, uh, trafficked in illegally are the women and children are susceptible to 30 percent chance of being raped or sexually abused. I could go on and on with facts. So think about that. So the very this is rhetoric that the, the very people that they're saying they're, they're, they're trying to protect. Right. It, they're, they're, by, by, by going against trying to shore up our ability uh, to protect the area in between the points of entry and, 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 and diminish that avenue greatly. They're actually allowing the cartels to continue to thrive and actually continue to do harm and exploit the very people they say they're trying to protect. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. I mean, th- th- you see what I'm trying to say? You know, I have never seen in my lifetime a more vivid display of how compassion is cruelty based on this whole thing. Like like you said, it's so cute watching the media, you know, as someone who has worked this issue for 13 years and they refuse to talk about it. You're not allowed to know. If someone sneezes in the Middle East, we know about it. If you have the worst forms of unspeakable body mutilations taking place right across the border by the cartels, somehow it's not even news. And, and yet... You know, they're like, man, two people died. And like, well, actually, a lot more than that died. Um, and like you said, uh, you know, the the Yuma County Sheriff, a uh, friend of mine, he, Leon Wilmot, I'd love to have him on the show as well. A hundred people just by his deputies. They're not even federal. Um, right. Unbelievable. Do, do you have another 10 minutes? I know I went long here. Sure, sure. Okay, sure, yeah, I, I didn't want to keep you too long, but I'm just uh, really thoroughly enjoying this. Uh, you know I'm going to ask you about this. If you, Given that you were the chief and you also were the FBI sack at El Paso. So you know where I'm headed with this. You, you, you know that once you put out the message to the world that we're open for business and you could come here, we got all these court decisions, um, all these magnets, and you're going to have a bunch of Central Americans, OTMs, other than Mexicans. Well, where you have Central Americans, you're going to have people from all over the world. Um yep. What I find fascinating speaking to you is that on June 24th of 2016, right around the time that you were appointed chief of the Border Patrol, um, Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, who became your boss later, he put out a special memo with the subject line, Cross-Border Movement of Special Interest Aliens, where he basically said that we need a, a new multi-DHS component SIA joint action group designed to counter the threats posed by the smuggling of SIAs and, quote, the increased global movement of SIAs um, in order to, to, to stop this. And, um, you know, it, 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 it said it requires immediate attention. Could you speak, I know some of this gets classified, but could you speak to the trend that we're seeing with SIAs coming over in that in that area, particularly in Texas. So I, I think this is an essential element that we need to talk about because, again, I think this has been twisted as well, and America has been misinformed. I think some of it's intentional, some of it's not, because it's important to distinct to delineate between the different lists that are out there, because some have really gone on the attack, you know, in the White House when they they talk about terrorists. Right. Coming coming across the border. And I, I do think there was some confusion about those lists. So before I get an SIA, let, let, let's talk about the watch list. So the watch list and the, the SIA list are two different lists. Right. So the, the watch list is about known and suspected terrorists. 
And then that's a separate list from the SIAs. And I think that's an important distinction that the American people understand. And so, yes, we, we're not catching terrorists, i.e. the watch list, coming in between the points of entry. But we are SIAs, special interest aliens. And the intelligence community has said, hey, if, if you're, you know, you're from this area, you're from this country, and, and a whole list of reasons that change, you know, you're, you're on this list. And, and, and what that means is, is that for, from a national security perspective, the intelligence community said, hey, this is an issue. And, and if we, we apprehend these individuals, we, we need to, to talk and do a little bit more investigation. That's what it means. It doesn't mean the automatic they're terrorists or known or suspected terrorists. That's a different list. And so at the time, yeah, we saw an increase. Think about this. If, if you talk to, so you remember when Trump, when President Trump just went down to McAllen and you had the, the acting chief patrol agent who I know that was standing there. And first he started to talk to the president and, he, and the president kind of issued him, you know, gesturing to talk to the camera talk directly to the American people. And he did. And he was talking about how they caught people just in the last month from, from countless different countries, right? And several of those were, 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 were on the SIA list. And so that's a fact. It's happening in between the points of entries, and that's an issue for our country. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it, that's the thing. To me, if you have, you know, several thousand a year that we catch, God knows how many we don't, and that's the other big issue um, that are from these hotbed countries. Yeah, they're not all going to be terrorists, but if you're from the Middle East and you're coming in our back door. Uh, you know, when we when we bring in somebody through our visa system, I mean, yeah, we, we, we need to know about that because that could be a problem. Uh, to the extent you could talk about this, obviously, in the large numbers, they're just the general people from those 25 or so countries. But to be clear, you have come across terrorists. So, again, I think this is a distinction, you know, not between the points of entry. Right. So so are, are, are people on the watch list? Coming into the Ameri- coming into the country, yes, all the time. That those are coming in through points of entry, airports, and etc. Um, but not in between the points of entry. We haven't seen that yet. But but here's what I'll say. But, but this is so critical, Daniel. I'm glad you asked this question. Is so what what is from 9/11? We we learned a lot of things from 9/11. But one of the most important things we learned from 9/11 is, for example, the FBI because I was there, I lived it. We went from a law reactive law enforcement agency only to a dual mission, reactive law enforcement, and NASA security proactive agency. And, and that's all agency. I think the military is already doing a good job. That CIA was a little proactive. But, but across the board, all law enforcement agencies in the United States, both, both you know, state, local, and federal, really got this idea that they need to be threat-based, intelligence-driven, operationally focused. We have to be proactive, driven on intel. That's why the SIA list is so important. And that's why when those individuals do come in through the points of entry, even though they're not known as suspected terrorists, they're on the SIA because they have great potential intelligence. We need to get them. We need to talk to them. We need to vet them, get them to proper intelligence agencies so they can further uh, talk to these folks and vet them and gain intelligence to better position our nation's safety in a proactive way. The other thing that I would say to that is, so let, let me get this right, the, the, the opponents of, of, of the wall, even though some supported it before. So what you're saying is, because we haven't apprehended numerous known terrorists in between the points of entry, what we don't want to do is do a strategy we know will, will, will dramatically reduce that ability. So instead, what we want to do is wait till terrorists do come through the points of entry 
and do harm to the country to then say we need a wall? Think about that. It it doesn't. It's ridiculous. Let's be proactive on the terrorist front. Let's do Why what we don't... need to do. Why don't they publish the numbers? Why is this stuff so classified? Um, whenever I try to find out about it, I can never hear about it. But you're seeing we're having this national debate. And I understand, you know, it's not worth it for political points to, um, you know, mess up our intel. But why does that need to be classified just to say, hey, we caught this many Iranians, this many Iraqis? Yeah. Is there a reason? It- you know, that, that I, I think that's always um, going to be the challenge. You know, I, I get it from the media. I think the media serves a, a valid, no, noble purpose in this country about making sure, you know, that check and balance and getting, you know, having the nation uh, be informed. I think that's right. And it's a noble cause. But but so is operational security and so sensitive stuff. So I think that's always a balance. Here's what I think. I, I think you could make the argument sometimes the federal government overclasses classifies stuff. You know, I, I've, I've been involved where I thought things were classified uh, at a higher level than they needed to be mm-hmm. at times. But here's what I would say is I, I, I never saw in my 30 years, you know, any ill intent to overclassify something. It really was, sure. they truly felt that was in the best interest of national security to classify it the way it was. I, I really haven't seen anybody do it for, for any other reason. So um, it, it's tough. I get it. But I, I, for now, I, I, uh, I know the intelligence community folks, and I support them. And if they're making a decision, I, I believe that they're making the decision because they believe it's in the best interest of this country, uh, knowing that it's always that balance because people want to know more. So um, it, it's a tough decision, you know, I, I, but I do believe they're doing it. What they truly believe it's in the, in the best interest of national security to, to, to keep certain things classified. No, for sure. They're, they have good intentions. I'm just saying if this it, to, to those of us who followed this issue we we've known for years that this is happening i actually left there was a washington examiner article that went everywhere this week about prayer rugs being found at the border and and a, a buddy of mine who was a uh, you know he dealt dealt with the border for many years he was laughing at at it because it's like yeah that that's like 20 years old that that's when we kind of didn't openly see the numbers or just gleaning for for signs um, now, I mean, we see them in the thousands from the Middle East. That's that's known, but most people didn't know about that. And then the media gets to play dumb, like, "Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, no, no such thing happens." I'm just saying it would be more helpful that you know to rebut their narratives. But again, I understand that you know you can't compromise yeah. security just to rebut narratives. Yeah, no, and, and I think you're right, and I think that's it's funny because I think both sides are kind of right, and I think those makes it talk. And let me give you like a quick example. You, you may not want a certain country to know that they're on the SIA list because then people from that country could try to hide their travel patterns, right? <laughs> and actually come through, right? A- another area that's not on the SIA list. So we actually, if someone is coming in, it's truly an SIA, but because they are able to hide their travel patterns because they knew that their country was, was on the list. Um, that, that's an example, a, a kind of a, a low level example, but it, 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 there are legitimate reasons. Sure. Um, Couple, a uh, couple more things. I know we're we're tight on time now. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, just one more quick thing on the SIAs. There was a trend that was clear last fiscal year, so fiscal year twenty eighteen. Um, there were something like five to seven hundred, forgetting the exact number in total at the end of the year of Bangladeshis with some Syrians mixed in, coming particularly at Laredo and maybe a little bit in El Paso. Do you know anything about that? And what happens to them? 
What 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 winds up happening to to those types as opposed to the Central yeah. Americans? Yeah, so that's again a great example. So SIAs are coming, in, you know, in between the points of entry, and it 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 really depends. Um, and so they they will be brought in. They're on the list. There, there's a set protocol that the Border Patrol will follow, uh, including uh, identifying other agencies like the FBI and other agencies as part of the intelligence community. Um, ICE, uh, ICE, uh, HSI may get involved as well. And so there there is a, there's a set protocol that follows. They, they will be interviewed and vetted properly. And then depending on how that goes, there's, there's countless things uh, that, that, that could happen to that individual from there, um, from, from just being deported to being further, uh, you know, uh, exploited by U.S. intelligence and U.S. investigations. You know, again, what, what they feel is the best interest in national security. Sure. Final final point I want to move However, on to. However, I will, I will say sure. one thing. I will say one thing, though, that, that, that's scary, right, is that they can also claim asylum, too. And, and, and that's right? what bothers me. That, that's what I, what, what I right. wanted to get to, because I think most Americans assume, oh, OK, if we catch them from there, they're out of here. And what's scary is no. I've seen years later, I've seen the result. I've seen cases. I remember I wrote about this, a, a Palestinian, where... You know, part of the problem we're having in the Middle East, and this is true of our open refugee, where we deliberately take not the ones that come on their own, like asylum, where, you know, you have Islamic civil wars going on and you have Sunnis and Shias fighting each other. So the problem is that, you know, you could have this was a Palestinian guy and he was like he was he was part of the Fatah faction as well well, hamas was going to persecute him and really you know he turned out to be a problem we've had a lot of problems with specifically with iraqi refugees again this is not asylum but refugees where you know baghdad's a mixed mixed city and depending on where they are if he's a sunni guy could say well the iranian-backed shia militias are persecuting me but really this guy turned out had ties to al-qaeda and conversely you know yet a sunni says a, a, a shia says i'm persecuted by a sunni but this guy has ties to iran and you know my concern is it's bad enough we, we we've had major problems with refugees where we deliberately Take them, vet them, search them out, and you know we we pick who we want to bring. You take asylum where they you know they call the shots on sovereignty. They come here and then just say I have a credible fear. Are we really releasing some of those just like Central Americans? Yes, that's absolutely right. And so that that's a great point, Daniel. So I'm glad you added on to my comments to focus on this area. That that is one area. Several of the absurdity, the absurdity of our policies, specifically asylum, specifically credible fear. If you come in, and, and I really became educated, actually when I was SAT of El Paso, when you come in, if you say those magic words, asylum applies to you. If you step one foot on American soil, it doesn't matter where you came from, what your background is, what your story is, the asylum of laws attach to you, period. And if you're smart enough to say the magic words, then you will be assigned a case and then given a hearing two to three years later, and you will be released into the interior United States pending that hearing. That happens the overwhelming majority of the time. Well, I mean, that that's the thing. That's what people need to realize. When you have that magnet, it's everywhere. I'm hearing from ICE in uh, some of the northern states that they're seeing a lot of 
Romanian gypsies coming in through the Canadian border. You know, they'll, they'll come anyway. If you say, you you know, you could stay, they'll come. You know, it's pretty obvious. It's so not just it, a Central American thing. That, that's right. And, and so Americans should be scared about that. So so we, we're, we're these people coming in, we're, we're, and think about this. They're coming from Central America. They're coming from these uh, different countries. And think about that for a second. How do we vet them? How do we vet them properly? We can't. It's not like they come with with a book that that gives them, you know, their birth certificate and all their documents, and then we can call the Central American co- country and confirm, and they, they they have a database, and they it, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. So so not only are our sound laws broke, but we're letting these people in, waiting for their hearing that really haven't been properly vetted. And what really bothers me about the media narrative with this is that there's somehow this thought that the federal government has a a divinely inspired database. Now, it's pretty extensive, but there's a heck of a lot of people in the world that are problematic that are not on any any database. That's that's absolutely correct. It's It's just common sense, you know? I'm telling you guys, that man is a special person. I mean, I didn't want to talk about it too much with him. But you realize he was totally canned by President Trump. Now, again, I mean, it's understandable because officially he was there under Obama. And, you know, you come into an administration, you don't know who's who's who. And, you know, maybe this guy is part of the open borders crowd. Um, but really, he wasn't. And he would have been good. But there's no animus from him towards Trump. You heard that. that I have never seen that in my life politically. Typically, even if someone ideologically is one way, but if you're screwed by the guy, you're just going to take revenge. And just imagine how he could have made a name for himself saying, hey, I was a former border chief and uh, Trump is full of garbage. But no, he's saying, no, Trump is right, even though Trump is the guy who fired him. Very impressive individual. Um, Let me know if you have any questions you want me to ask him offline. We could talk about it on future shows. I'd love to bring him back as well as some of our previous guests. I'm about out of steam. I am sick like a dog. Um, Thank God my voice held up. What a long week. But we're just getting started on this. We will continue relentlessly focusing on this, many other issues. Um, It is the 46th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade travesty next week. We're going to talk about that and the future of judicial supremacism. Next week is probably going to be the pivotal week in this entire fight. So we need to make sure nothing is left on the table. God bless y'all. Thank you so much for making this a growing show, an informative show. And with God's help, we're going to take this to new heights. Have a great weekend.